Well, good afternoon to you. Uh, this is Alan Seymour, your host here on episode 32, Future of Sport, All in Sports Talk. Delighted today, special guest uh, David Alexander from Calicus Sports PR. David, perhaps we can just begin. Give us a couple of uh, insights into uh, all things uh, David and all things Calicus. Okay, hello. Um, yes, well, I think just to go back to the very beginning for me, I, from a very early age, became passionate about football and decided I wanted to become a professional footballer. doesn't make me unusual <laughs> in any way, shape or form, but I did realise fairly early on that I was never going to have the skills to be able to make a career of the game, particularly when, as a, as a young lad, I... Uh, uh, in the sixth form, as it was then, in, back in the 80s, uh, early 90s, um, I used to play with some kids, including one who was five or six years younger than me, and used to run rings round all of us. And I thought to myself, gosh, if uh, if he's that good and he's literally five years younger than me, then I haven't got any hope at all. That was Frank Lampard, who obviously went on to have a very good career in the game, so he was a bit of a benchmark even when he was 11 or 12. Um, so I decided that I was going to, to use my other skill or my better skill, which was writing and become a, uh, a sports journalist. I thought if I can't be paid for playing football, I'd love to be paid for watching it. So I set about doing everything I could to become a, a sports journalist. I um, used to go up to, to London and do work experience with the BBC when they were in Shepherd's Bush. Uh, on the grandstand show and also on Match of the Day and I befriended one of the producers who allowed me to go there and watch Match of the Day from, from the afternoon when they were watching the games and making the notes to the edit to the live show when Dev Lynham used to present it and, uh, and I did a little bit on the on ITV as well and in fact I was in the gallery on one occasion when Paul Gascoigne, the former England and Tottenham and Lazio midfielder was being interviewed and um, Gary Lineker who at that point was still playing came into the gallery to watch because he was trying to do everything he could to learn yeah. about sports broadcasting even before uh, uh, he ever um, stepped foot in the studio so I worked my way up I, I was editing at, a, um, at my university editing the sports section of the um, students magazine and got very fortunate in my negotiations with Portsmouth Football Club who allowed me for the duration of my degree to have a season ticket for the press box. So I was in and amongst all the journalists seeing how the um, stories were being written, how they were being phoned through because Portsmouth had a, a, a Saturday pink paper that came out straight after the game. And I kept on doing work experience with the Sunday Telegraph and everything I could and um, and then Portsmouth, uh, the Portsmouth News took me on to do, while I was studying, doing a journalism qualification, they took me on to, um, to cover one of the non-league teams, which was Haven Town, which is now Haven and Waterlooville. Yeah. And as soon as I finished my journalism um, qualification, I, uh, I went straight on to the local paper in Reading. Um, from, from Reading, where I covered the football for two years, I then moved up to a, a sports news agency in London who supported all the nationals and they also had contracts to do the Arsenal website, which in those days was basically just me. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was also covering games for the national newspapers up there. 
I mean, David, we've never met. We've obviously exchanged more than just pleasantries, I think. We've exchanged a lot of commonality and a lot of uh, imagination and clearly a lot of insights. We're on the same page. And it's a fantastic introduction to, to this interview and to my listeners and to some of the things that I already know uh, we share very passionately and, 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 and very much, as I've suggested already, uh, the, 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 the kind of considerations, I think, that are very prevalent today. And I want to touch upon a few of the um, those considerations that, that, that you've just alluded to. I think it's no coincidence, and, and, and I think the parallel of, you know, I could relate a lot of the same stories that you have in my career 
albeit a lot older, and maybe I've done a, a considerable amount more in terms of variations. And I started um, uh, playing with great footballers as they've turned out to be, and I did a bit of writing, and I worked for a newspaper, and so on and so forth. But tell me, what are your thoughts? Because I think, is there now a blur, do you think, or is there a, a more coming together or an overtaking between what is considered journalism reporting and maybe what PR has become? I mean, is there such a thing as maybe the celebrity journalist, for example, in sport? Um, I think there have always been some, some synergies, I think. Uh, but, but equally, when I, was, when I was a journalist, I used to call up the various PR consultancies that had sports divisions. Yep. And I'd say, look, you know, if you've got any interesting stories or if you've got someone I can talk to that you want to get some promotion for and I can get an interesting angle there then please let me know. Now, there were, didn't feel like there were many sports agencies around at the time or sports divisions within agencies. And most of them said, oh, right, okay, all right, we'll let you know. And then I'd never hear anything again, yep. despite the fact it was, was make, would have made their job so much easier. I think looking at the, the, national, the, the major football teams now, the access that they allow to their players has um, been reduced hugely because they, they want to protect them, they want to protect the brand, because players are likely to say something that has um, perhaps not been as well considered as it might be and can get twisted. And, you know, unfortunately I saw, when I used to be part of the National right. News Pack, I saw so many occasions where someone would say something and the way that every single journalist agreed that they were going to report it didn't have any reflection on what had actually been said. And I even saw journalists who would write their quotes and phone them through, this is in the days before email, they'd phone them through as a match report with quotes from a journalist and then um, and then try and get the, mm. the, the manager to say those comments afterwards, hoping that they could they would save themselves some time. You know, it's very unscrupulous. I think these days, you know, journalists need PR um, consultants on many levels, certainly in sport, because they, if they want to um, uh, to get access to those players or, or such like, the, the best opportunities to do them are generally not through clubs, if we're talking about football, but it's through sponsors. So if uh, if someone's got a boot deal or a tennis or racket deal or what have you, they're far more likely to be able to get the access that they require mm. more than a, more than two minutes. How did that match go? That you get before or after the game, um, it's far more it's far more prevalent. I think there's certainly there are a lot of journalists. Um, I don't think they are in the pocket of PR consultants, and certainly I would say that you know a lot of journalists are still wanting to maintain their integrity and independence Absolutely. as much as they can. But I also think that the the, the pool of journalists is is shrinking at such a rate because of advertising. Um, budgets being mm. cut and because you know there are people who are doing blogs with social media and video and everything for nothing and turning them into businesses which is making them a huge amount of money more than, than journalists on national newspapers so there's a big strain because those journalists are being asked to do a huge amount more work for the same money and on longer hours than, uh, than they were in the past you know, it really depresses me looking at any any newspaper, and that includes the Times yep. um, or the Telegraph. There are typos in every story. 
Yeah, I, I think if I can just interrupt there, sorry, uh, David, if I can just interrupt there, because I think this conversation, the, the touch points here and the synergies that you've alluded to, I mean, you did make the reference that perhaps you were repeating the same stories and it was only the dates and the names that were kind of changing and you felt there was something a lot yeah. more to give. I was exactly yeah. the same, you know, yeah. uh, and, and I think I could draw parallels here, maybe even on a very uh, philanthropic or a f- philosophical perspective, I should say, maybe on society but even if i was looking at just in education you know there are reservations there are you know governance and and, and various restrictions but in terms of if you like the journalists you know i think it's all become about time scales let's get the news out like yesterday or certainly be first to it's almost be like first to market and therefore perhaps the uh, the scrutiny uh, the content the relevance and everything is a secondary uh, consideration i mean I mean, you alluded earlier to, you know, sports people per se sometimes not being uh, so wise, particularly with social media, to get, you know, something out there and then people realising, oh, no, what have I done with that? I mean, it's interesting, perhaps, in America, where I have lots of connections, and I'm sure you do, that sports people there recognise the need to be if you like, friendly to their fans and be available to the media and maybe have wised up a lot more. What are your, what are your thoughts on maybe some comparisons be, be, be between some of the sports, uh, if you like, synergies in terms of what sports people say, David? Um, I think different sports have different um, rules. You know, I think clearly the, the sport which, which gets the most attention yeah, in this country is
substantial like winning an Olympic gold medal and even then it might not be that big but now PR gives us the opportunity to have owned media and to, to channel that out to very targeted fans and supporters and grow things on a very steady basis to those audiences that actually really care rather than just trying, trying to get the five second glance from someone who's really only interested in reading the, the front and the back pages and nothing more. David, can I can I just because again another touch point there, and it's kind of wonderfully, if you like, segued into what was my next kind of major question to your Syria. Uh, women in sport, you know, I, I've got an affinity with it. You know, you, you touched upon 2012 Olympics, and, and and my daughter was there in the hockey setup, and gone on to do other great things subsequently, and recently uh, been involved talking to Mark Webber who I'm sure you know about the University of Northampton uh, journalism conference on women in sport which I'm going to attend and in fact one of my sports marketing students is on one of the panels there so let's champion women in sport and I think what you've highlighted here if you've got a good narrative if you care and you understand equality and lots of other things but it's about time and and, and, and you know I'm wonderfully uh, aware of that and and wonderfully connected to you there. What would you advise, maybe uh, women in sport per se, or maybe bodies, or you know, like the investex of this world who've come to women in sport very, very much in terms of some of their sponsorships? Some comments on that, maybe, David. Yeah, I think I think I think we're you know we are seeing a a little bit of a shift in in society, not just in sport yeah. with the you know with Me Too and various other things that. Women are being treated uh, more and more as equals and relevant rather than just as class citizens, and that's very important. I think what needs to happen uh, on a greater level is that these established teams and clubs in uh, some of the major sports need to invest more into women's sports, both from a um, participation and from a spectator perspective, because everything is still very much um, orientated towards the men. As far as the smaller sports are concerned, whether that's netball, judo, um, hockey or what, what have you, I think it's about working with the sponsors and, and working really hard to come up with with uh, strong messaging and strong ideas that actually capture the imagination of um, uh, the, the female um, population. You know, we are still... It's just there's a culture, and I don't think this is unique to, to Great Britain, but there is a culture that, um, you know, young young girls of a, a primary school age, they go and do dance and ballet and uh, um, arts and crafts, and, and the boys go and play football or yeah. rugby or cricket or what have you. That needs to be changed from the very, very grassroots level. And, uh, you know, I've seen... Um, uh, from my own children's perspective, that there are the, the sort of youth football clubs that are promoting, um, you know, training for, for for primary school kids are targeting young women too, and, and that's what happen in all sports. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I mean, we've seen. I, I worked for um, the International Boxing Association at London 2012. Okay. And uh, Katie Taylor and uh, Nicola Adams were were the highlights. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I think that um, Nicola Adams went on again to do well um, in Rio, but I think there needs to be, um, you know, more more 
consistency in the exposure that these people get through their sponsors. And I think that's something that every sponsor needs to, to, to bear in mind because there are, as I said earlier, newspapers and magazines are struggling for advertising. Therefore, if you decide, right, we're going to, to, to back Nicola Adams or the women's netball team, we are going to sponsor them, then it doesn't cost a huge amount of money these days yeah. in real terms to organise advertising, which includes having some editorial within it. You know, yeah. um, the peso model, paid, earned, shared and owned. You know, you need to have all those elements within any PR campaign. And nowadays, if you want to, to promote female sport and you're sponsoring it, then invest a little bit of money in the advertising in order to get the, the editorial. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I mean... D- the editorial gets compromised, it just means that I think what you've said there, uh, I mean, I always take a lot from every interview I do and, and lots of the connections we make through social media conferences, whatever it may be. But I really want to highlight that because that we live in this kind of attention economy immediacy. Don't forget the medium to long term, the development, the continuum. You know, if you're just going into sponsorship or you just want somebody for the new story of that day, then fine if that's your kind of gig. But let's look at all of the things behind a great story, behind a narrative, behind the, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the features that you can do on a regular basis. And that's where, in my old days, they used to call it advertorials. But it seems many ways that we can develop that so let's highlight that i would love to go on and keep talking to you david but like all good interviews you know where does the where does the time go but i want to maybe close on on just a couple of points you know it's interesting I, I think there was a tweet only the other day that the either the ceo or somebody fairly head up in women's netball said she can't sleep at night worrying about funding so that kind of highlights the point you make but i also read today an article uh, by edelman on the need for trust in PR and the kind of culture again going back to the ITKs in the nose and people putting allegedly fake news out there what do you think sport and particularly sports PR can do to avert what may be becoming a real real disaster potential or if it's not already a problem what are your final thoughts maybe for today's interview on this element of trust and and, and how we can eradicate some of these problems that, that comes about from some of the issues I've just mentioned I think, um, uh, you know, the first thing to say, just going back to what I said before, I've seen so many sports journalists, particularly in the football arena, who either take the most tenuous of stories and turn them into back page news and people yeah. believe them and, and then they don't happen, you know, and then, then that creates a, a really to- toxic atmosphere, you know, if Liverpool get linked with signing Cristiano Ronaldo and... and various newspapers run the story because they don't want to be seen to be missing out on it and then it never happens there are always a section of fans that go oh well you know we just didn't didn't do enough to sign him yeah. what, what happened there so, so fake news comes from both sides I think authenticity is fundamental you know there's no point saying to um, you know we try you know public relations should be a management uh, discipline as much as it should be a, a tactical one and I think we say to our clients, big and small, whether they're on the administrative, administrative side or on the playing side, you know, you've got to be authentic. If you aren't doing the things that you're saying you're doing, 
someone will find out and yeah. you'll be found out and your credibility will go. It's absolutely fundamental that you put the um, processes and systems in place to make sure that everything that you do is real. And that means that you're going to build up trust with the audiences that matter to you. You will have the proof points, the third-party endorsements that will allow you to be able to, uh, um, to speak on your behalf if anything goes wrong. And you'll be able to, to talk on a regular basis about the phenomenal um, development and activities that you're participating in. I think where things fall down, and it's not just in sports public relations, but in all elements, is, is you know, the, the, unfortunately, the irony of, of, of PR is that PR has never been great at PRing itself. <laughs> and, um, you know, for many, many, many years, uh, right up to... Uh, Recently, you know, uh, the uh, recently departed Axe Clifford was seen as the poster boy for the PR industry, when really what he was was a publicist that horse traded in um, gossip and made up stories in order to to uh, to make money for himself and for his clients. We uh, we have to be, to distance ourselves from that sort of practice as much as possible and make sure that that we move away from spin and we keep things as authentic as possible because in this age where everyone can be a journalist with a smartphone and a camera, you know, everyone will get found out in the end if they don't uh, uh, do what they say and say what they mean. I mean, David, uh, it, 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 it's just... I was going to use a Seth Godin word here, you know, be remarkable, but get people to uh, to make comments. And, and and I think, but as long as it's the right comment and it's done yeah. for all the right reasons. And those factors that you've just left my audience with in, in these kind of closing remarks, it, authenticity, credibility, responsibility, being real. And certainly don't go down that route of the man that you've just mentioned who I won't even mention because, you know, some of the uh, the dangers quite often and the misrepresentation, misinterpretation of this great business that we're in, both sport and sport PR, and PR per se, it's all about all of those things that you've just touched upon. David, it's been a great interview with you today. We have to have a, um, a David Alexander uh, interview too. Uh, I hope we can meet up um, personally in the coming uh, future, and I'm sure we will. Can you just give us perhaps a quick sign out, David, at Cal Collison, anything else that you want to say where we can contact your, uh, my audience, Cam? Thanks, David. Yes, if, any, if anyone, you know, I, as I said at the beginning, I, I was given plenty of support when I was starting out in my media career. So, you know, I'm very passionate about helping young people looking to get into the, um, the world of, of PR and sports marketing. So if anyone is interested in having a chat or any guidance, then I'm always happy to help. Uh, our website is calicus.com, C-A-L-A-C-U-S.com. And, uh, you know, we've worked across numerous sports and with some of the greatest names uh, of the last 20 years or so. So always happy to, to help anyone that wants any advice. David, that is just really, really reassuring and fantastic interview. Really appreciate you taking time out today. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Take care and we'll speak again soon. Thank you.